0: You're listening to an Economy Matters Podcast, produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job
1: growth has been strong. Downside
0: risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of Fed officials... shadow sector. banking system is large... We've come a
1: long way since the darkest
0: day of the financial crisis. Welcome to another Economy Matters Podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, staff writer with the Atlanta Fed's online magazine, Economy Matters. And today we're visiting with Stuart Andreassen. Stu is director of the bank's new Center for Workforce and Economic Opportunity. Stu, thanks for joining us today.
1: Happy to be here, thanks a lot.
0: All right, well, we're mostly gonna talk about workforce development, which is a, a pretty broad topic. So I guess to start with, Stu, can you kind of give us a baseline definition of workforce development when we, you know, when we say that? What do we mean?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that there's a couple definitions for it, and I'll I'll start with the most broad, which is that really it's become, in recent years, kind of a catch-all phrase for a number of different interventions um, that help promote people's ability to get a job, to move up in a job. Uh, So this often includes like education and job training, kind of technical skill development, but also a number of programs and policies that help people be available for work. And so sometimes people will include things like childcare support or even entrepreneurship programs and kind of what they think of as the broad ecosystem of of workforce development.
0: Right, right. So now no less a figure than Janet Yellen is among those who I know have recently said that basically right now is a time we need workforce development. Arguably more than we've ever needed it. But when you look, you know, unemployment's pretty low and and the economy is is doing reasonably well. So what why why is is this a, a time when uh, this is especially important?
1: I agree that it's probably more important now than ever. Um, there's there's been a number of kind of trends that have come towards some type of confluence that really kind of make this an important topic. Number one, a lot of communities, as as the economy has changed, a lot of communities have really seen that the skill of the workforce is an incredibly important part in terms of their ability to attract investment and to be competitive in a global marketplace. Um, so it's become really important to economic developers. We also know that kind of very broadly, there have been changes in in the economy that have focused on technology, that have focused on new changes in terms of employer-employee relationships and the gig economy and things like that, that really have infused lifelong learning and kind of constant transition and change into the way that people work, the work that they do, and and, and the skills that they need for for a job. So those things are important. And certainly that stuff has always happened. There's always been technological change. But the pace is, is seeming to pick up more and more now than ever. And I think that part of it is that, you know, We've got to be a little bit more active in the way that we do this work because a lot of people, you know, imagine that their job is to to go to work and to perform a function, and they're not spending a lot of time thinking about what's next. And and nor is it an easy thing to really understand um, what's going to happen, what's going to be next. So I think it's I think it's really a, a, a pretty important new topic. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Stu, why does this concern the the Federal Reserve? Where does it fit into monetary policy?
1: It does in a number of ways. I mean, we can think about our dual mandate, which um, you know, is focused on price stability and low inflation and, and, and also maximum employment. And certainly this helps fit into the whole, fits well with the portion related to maximum employment. We want to make sure that we're able to tap into the abilities and skills and potential of, of our entire workforce. I mean, you know, broadly, we can think that our part of our role is to ensure that the economy is growing at a sustainable and strong pace. And as, as we think about like what that pace might be, if we leave resources on the side, that that doesn't happen. And so you can think that there's probably two ways that that ends up affecting kind of broad overall economic growth. If we have jobs that remain unfilled, because employers can't find the workers that they need to perform the work, then that's some amount of production that's lost. But I'd also say that there's another part of that, is that there's this, this level of innovation and growth and productivity that helps drive economic growth. And and people's, people's skills and knowledge play into coming up with new ideas. And this is not just innovation that happens at big tech firms and new things are invented. This happens on the shop floor. It happens in lots of places where someone kind of figures out how to do something in a slightly better way, a more efficient way, where you're maybe not creating a whole bunch more things, but you've improved a process. You've helped manage some costs. And those are important. We Those are both things that are difficult to actually measure. Is, is a job unfilled? Because there isn't a worker with the skills? Has there been some type of shop floor innovation that has improved productivity? Very difficult to measure, but we know that there are things that ultimately help the economy grow. Workforce development helps to do that. I would also say that another thing that we're focused on with the Federal Reserve's community development function is thinking about some of the distribution that happens in, in the economy. And the community development function specifically focuses on low and moderate income populations and workforce development and helping people to find ways to get employment and to move up. And employment is certainly a way to address challenges that people with low incomes or living in poverty may face.
0: Right. Well, that's a nice segue to uh, to explore what the new center is going to do. So Center for Workforce and Economic Opportunity, uh, the name, uh, uh, I think, is, is fairly self-explanatory, but it's also pretty broad. So, so can you talk, Stu, for a minute about what the center's role is? What are some of the major uh, focus areas for
1: it. Sure. I, I will say that broadly, the the Center for Workforce and Economic Opportunities' mission is to explore and support the ways that training, education, and ultimately employment can help promote economic opportunity and economic mobility for workers to help provide opportunity. That plays out in a number of ways. And I want to talk kind of specifically about that. So there are our challenges in the workforce development system. Um, we know that it's a very, th- there are a diverse set of actors that are involved in workforce development. There are economic development organizations, there are community-based organizations, and certainly community colleges, universities, the K-12 mm-hmm. education system. So there's a lot of actors that are all kind of working with different motivations and and from different perspectives that are kind of making out this bigger, broader system or kind of marketplace of opportunities that are available so we can help um, maybe make that a
0: little more cohesive perhaps the
1: hope is to make it a little more cohesive the hope is to to be able to to work with groups and as, especially now as this has become more and more important as there's been more and more interest in it there's a lot of new people that are interested there are new new actors to the to the field and and part of what we hope to do is to be able to to bridge research and practice and really help to to make sure that as people are making investments and as communities are investing in workers that they're doing things that are going to be the absolute most successful and and have the greatest chance to to help people out. So we want to help to make sure that that the policies and programs that communities enact are effective. And so our our hope is that as a as a neutral player that has some connections to uh, many of these different Fields, we can help to bridge those gaps, make it a little bit more cohesive, and in a lot of ways, help the system to perform better. But how, how how will we go about doing that, Stu? I mean, I know that
0: there'll be a, a sort of a multi-pronged approach, I'm sure. But what what are just a few examples of of uh, of programs or, or events or, or initiatives sure. that uh, that you guys are going to undertake?
1: Well, I'd you know, I one of our goals is also to work with our partners across the Federal Reserve System. So there are people that are doing this work really deeply on the ground with communities, helping to understand issues and identify new trends. We want to help support that and and create a voice that's larger as the fed system. But I think that one of the other things that we can do is that we can help in a lot of ways link it back to questions of economic growth and really be objective and help people understand what's uh, what can work and what doesn't. I would also say that we can lean on a lot of the the strengths that the fed system has. And part of what we can do is help to take labor market analysis and economic analysis and data that that is available and turn it into into products and 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 things that are relevant and useful to people that are engaged in workforce development. I'd point to the Opportunity Occupation Monitor, which we launched last year, which takes information from a number of public data sites that helps to identify in a community what are middle-skilled jobs and, and jobs that don't require a bachelor's degree that pay well, that pay above median wage, partly so that workforce organizations can help to prioritize what they train people in towards those that are jobs that are hard to fill and, and provide great opportunities for, for workers who don't have four years or six years or however long it may be to, to get an advanced degree, but also to help actual job seekers and students understand what opportunities are available, what happens if they get a major in one thing versus another. So we've been excited about that. We're experimenting with a number. I mean, some of it will be to continue to work with the research community to make sure that there's relevant uh, research and that the right questions that can help people advance are getting asked and, and answered and explored.
0: Yeah, one thing that, that, that's striking, I think, about this kind of work's Stu, is the, the notion that, that this stuff is not just to help individuals find work. It's, it really will benefit the entire economy, right? Is that an yeah. important point to, to convey, to get across?
1: Well, I think that that's one of the really exciting things about this is that this is an area where there are a lot of people that can benefit. Um, so we just uh, last year also have and, and, are, and are still really engaged in a, in a system-wide national effort called Investing in America's Workforce, which has included listening sessions across the country. It included a conference in Austin. And, and the subtitle of the Investing in America's Workforce Initiative is Improving Outcomes for Workers and Employers. And these are things that can help solve HR problems for companies. They can help local growth. Uh, they can help create opportunities. You know, as a field, I think that there's still more work to be done to figure out how we can take an investment frame that workers, when you invest in workers, they can actually provide returns to other to society and to and to companies. So I think that there's a there is a real benefit and part of what we hope to do with that initiative is to find ways to frame the conversation. Around investments in workforce development as ones of investment, rather than just thinking of them as as something that really doesn't provide anyone except for some individuals a return.
0: Right. So it's not a charity. It's not a not a cost. It's it's more of an investment. How is 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 it important to sort of build that case? I mean, or, or has that case already been built? Essentially,
1: you know, I think that. Getting the word out on that is is important. There have been some there have been some communities, there have been some uh, companies that have really understood that, and they see investments in in their workers as things that can help them advance. Um, you can look at a number of examples. You can think about what ended up being relatively small cost items. Um, Quick Trip changed the way that they scheduled work to allow people to kind of really have predictable schedules and understand what was available and provide advancement opportunities and training, that's led to significantly lower turnover. And they've done really, really quite well at keeping people around and really seeing their, their employees as one of their major assets. We can look at an example in, in West Georgia with Southwire that actually started to invest in the K-12 education system partly so that they could build out a workforce, but they certainly did help their recruitment uh, challenges and and help build out their own workforce. And it's been something that's helped them stay where they are and remain competitive and and have an available workforce. So I think that there are some firms that have really started to understand that. There are communities that see that as well. Um, We've seen growth both in the Southeast and across the country in in states that are using uh, appropriations to help further expand workforce development programs, and I think that that's because they see it as, as ways that they're investing in their economic development and ways that they're investing in helping address challenges related to uh, people in poverty and and lower incomes. One of the things that needs to happen to really make this much more widespread is to really communicate what are the lessons from that, what are the lessons from that investment, and how what are some frameworks that. Are replicable or adoptable by other people that have not done that yet.
0: Right, right. Well, Stu, this uh, training, both at the at at an individual company level, and I guess in, uh, through public programs. I mean. These kind of programs have been around for some time, right? This isn't this yep. isn't brand new activity, but um, it, it's changed pretty dramatically in recent decades. Is that is that correct? The way it's funded, how much it's funded? Absolutely.
1: Um, I I will note that you know companies still do this, and they've done this for a long time. Often people will say that. Uh, that employers are really the largest provider of of training. Um, that's partly through things like educational reimbursement programs that that some companies have, but also really on the job training and training that managers do kind of informally with their employees. But firms also spend a lot of money, like actual hard money that they spend. Most estimates say well over a hundred billion dollars a year, um, if not closer to two hundred billion dollars a year. Of that investment, though, the, a huge majority uh, of of the money that is spent, actual money by firms, is spent on or on employees that already have very high levels of education. So it typically goes to people that already have a bachelor's degree. There's also been changes in in public programs. So if you if you go back to the '80s, to the Job Training and Partnership Act, which is really the predecessor legislation to what we call the traditional workforce development legislation, the Federal Workforce Development System, which is uh, a smaller program out of the Department of Labor uh, called the Workforce and Innovation Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act which is about 3 billion dollars a year and now if you adjust for inflation that means that since 1980 it's it's down by about 87%. So it's considerably smaller and that's not to say that the federal government isn't doing anything it's just that they've reprioritized that Pell grants have expanded significantly in the last few years. Pell grants provide college tuition for low-income students. Now that has meant significant expansion in the availability of of programs, but a huge amount of Pell grants are spent on career-based training at community colleges. So there's been a lot. There's been a lot of change.
0: So since since companies tend to, to focus their investments in workforce development on their uh, employees who are already pretty educated, high skilled workers. Does that mean the the sort of workforce development ecosystem out there outside the, you know, doors of the employers themselves? Is it is it their charge or, or, or their does it fall to them to focus on the uh, distributional issues, which we briefly touched on earlier, it's, uh, the the folks who are who who don't have bachelor's degrees, the from demographic groups that uh, that in general have have not shared in the in the prosperity quite
1: uh, quite equally. I, I,
0: is that kind of how this this is going to work out, or is working out?
1: I would say that that it goes a couple of ways. You know, I think that that's one of the real promises and I would say that one of the things that we find is that 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 is is relatively true. The workforce development system helps people that are are, are that need opportunities to find ways to advance. One of the challenges that that system faces is that when you start to introduce a lot of non-skill Barriers. So there, we can think about some of the things that workforce development addresses as both skill based barriers, someone doesn't have the technical skills to do a job, versus non skill barriers, which are, you know, think more broadly kind of the conditions that they. That they face in life, transportation, transportation, transportation housing, housing um, access to child care, and even, you know, some broader issues, discrimination in the labor market or challenges finding work because of a mistake that someone made in their past, addiction issue or a criminal background. The workforce development system is well set up to, to deal with skill-based challenges there have been some, some changes that have uh, attempted to help address non-skill-based challenges like transportation and child care, but they're quite small. They typically only help with transportation to training, not necessarily transportation to work, other than we've seen some programs that have really focused on helping to solve transportation issues that show really good results. But it's it's a challenge to find enough people to drive and to find funding to pay for cars and things like that to get people to work. But the workforce development system is well set up to deal with skill-based challenges. It's not as well set up to deal with non-skill-based challenges. So you start to see what look like relatively modest results from these skill-based programs. But if you factor in that they're working with populations that have real labor market challenges and challenges in getting to work and being available for work and doing work, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of promise. And if we think a little bit more comprehensively about how you can support workers to get to work and to be available for work and, and to be skilled to do work you'd see some really great examples. And to me, that's one of the really exciting things about being at the Fed and working closely with our community development group on the broad range of of issues that we talk about for low and moderate income communities is that this is a real connecting point that the workforce development system can make to help deal with non-skill-based issues. But it's also a real opportunity for the workforce development community to bring something to to populations that have really found their way to have stable housing and some more stability in their neighborhoods and communities, and really are starting to look for ways to move up, I'm excited to, to help make those connections.
0: Focusing on skills for just a minute here, and we hear often the term skills gap, and we hear it a lot. I think in the in the Fed surveys, the Atlanta Fed surveys, at least of employers, who in especially in certain industries or at certain skill levels, have difficulty finding people. And this the sort of surface reason often is, well, we can't find people with the skills we need. So the term skills gap has sort of grown out of that. But on the other hand, research by some of our economists here, as well as elsewhere, has found that there's a little more to it than that. It's maybe a little more nuanced than simply, you know, we need these skills. People don't have those skills. So, is the skills gap real, or if not, what's the story there? Is it a little more nuanced than just the, the simple notion
1: of lack of skills? You know, I would say that there's a couple different ways to answer that question. So it's a little more nuanced. There's a skill gap for for certain people. There are people that will benefit from getting skills, from getting a college degree or getting a technical certificate that allows them to do a certain type of job. Now, does that mean that there's not someone available or that the labor force doesn't have the skills to fill the needs of an employer? It may, but there's also a challenge of how much does an employer value a certain job, and they may not be able to pay what someone with the skills wants, or they may not want to. So there may not be a skills gap, there's someone available. One of the things that I do think is nice about, or is exciting about workforce development is that it can help with the distribution of who has the skills and who's available for work. It can help to create more opportunity. You can almost think of it in some ways as an opportunity to help address some of those disparities that exist and to help better prepare people for work. So there's, there's that. So there are, there are people, there are groups of people that, that can really benefit. Is there truly a skills gap? No. There's been some analysis by the National Skills Coalition that really looked at the middle skill gap. And their their analysis suggests that we've got, in terms of high-skill workers, more high-skill workers than there are workers available, and that there's more low-skill workers than there are jobs for low-skill workers, that there's a gap in the middle. Now, What that means is that, you know, if we're talking just broadly across the entire economy, someone with high skills could probably do many middle skill jobs, not all of them, but some of them. Um, So what you end up seeing probably is that there's not truly a skills gap that, you know, people with higher skills can filter down and do some of those jobs. But then what you end up with is people that feel like they're not meeting their potential and and being able to utilize all of their skills. And that's part of our problem is that we want to make sure that we have a workforce that's agile to be able to deal with change, but also that is well aligned with what is available in the labor market. So people aren't spending more time and money in school than they need to or ending up kind of in a field that's not really – related to their education and not related to the the things that they're interested in doing
0: right right well Stu, i wanted to come back and as we get ready to kind of close things out here, to the notion of, of workforce development as an investment and not a cost and something that can benefit the economy and society at, at large. And that is, at the, at the, you mentioned the conference in Austin, Texas back in October. There I, 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 a number of, of uh, speakers, experts in this field and, and other fields as well, mentioned the idea that Paying for workforce development, say, as in, thinking of it as an upfront investment as opposed to back-end spending on public programs, uh, incarceration, unemployment insurance, um, you know, f- assistance for, with food purchases and such, uh, that basically the upfront investment is going to cost far less than the investments on the back-end if we, if we don't get better at this. I- is that an important uh, uh, point to make and, and, and is that valid?
1: Yeah. And I, I think that that's absolutely right. And those are some of the things that don't always get captured in, in evaluations of the effectiveness of workforce development. There's a few very big studies that suggest that someone that goes through workforce development earns and, and, and so these are quite old, but earns $500 more per year, which sounds relatively modest. Mm-hmm. Now, if you start to factor in that they, many of the people that are going through these programs face a lot of those non-skill barriers to work, starts to seem a little bit better. And you start to say, well, they were making quite a low amount of money and that $500 sounds even better. But that doesn't really account for the things that you just mentioned, lower incarceration rates, less public assistance, um, on and on. Those are real benefits. And, And to that point that they're not captured very well, There's been some attempts at starting to try and capture them. And in a few very, very early cases, there's been something, a a new financial product called a social impact bond, where if you're able to do some of these things through workforce development or other interventions cheaply, that governments and investors will actually pay for those social outcomes that they see because they're able to save money. Um, And it can be a situation where government provides a little additional investment in something like education or workforce development uh, so that they're spending less later.
0: Right. All right. Well, Stu, there's a whole lot to talk about here and we'll, uh, we'll come back and, uh, and continue this conversation later, but I think we'll probably need to wrap up for now. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about what the Center for Workforce and Economic Opportunity is up to, uh, check out the website at frbatlanta.org slash C-W-E-O. And thanks for listening. And come back next month. We're going to be talking with Amy Goodman, who's the head of the 6th District Cash Operation, about what they do and about some pretty interesting work that they did in Puerto Rico following the the devastating hurricane down there. So thank you for listening and and please come back. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.